Welcome to the 396th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Julietta Henderson, author of the novel The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Julietta Henderson, author of the debut novel, The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman. Julietta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Wonderful. If someone hasn't heard about your novel, The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman yet, how would you describe the novel? I describe the novel. It's it's it comes under the genre uplit, which kind of speaks for itself, which means it's uplifting. And I've been told that since it's been published because I've never heard that before. <laughs> but it's the story um, about twelve-year-old Norman Foreman and his mother Sadie. Norman and his best friend Jax had uh, a very deep obsession with the old-time British comedy acts and they had a plan to take their own fledgling comedy act all the way to the famous Edinburgh Fringe Festival by the time they turned 15. But then Jax dies and Norman's left just, he's now just half of a comedy duo and of course he's devastated. And his mother Sadie, who is a woman, she's a single mother and she's very self-deprecating. She can't really see beyond her own flaws but she thought, and, and in truth, she feels like she's afraid of everything. But once Jax dies, and she, all she wants is to see Norman smile again and be happy, and she finds herself in the position of basically doing anything to make her son happy again. And she finds out a lot about herself along the way. And so they set off. She determines to not only make his dream come true and get him to the Edinburgh Fringe, but also to find the father that Norman's never known. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the funny thing about Norman Foreman? I don't think I remember the exact moment when the story came to me, because I think it came to me gradually. But I do know that the two characters of Sadie and Norman, you'll often hear that that authors say the characters came to them fully formed. In this case, it was actually dead true because I can't remember if I woke up one day and there they were, but 
one day there they were and they were fully formed, these characters. I've never had to do any character development on them or imagine what they had for breakfast or anything. I wouldn't. I knew everything about them, it seemed. And so the story really grew up around them. And what I do remember is the original what-if question that I asked myself was, what if something in your life, the worst possible thing in your life, what if it was to lead you to the best time of your life? And that's the, the very kernel of the story because that's what happens at the very beginning. It's no spoiler to say it opens with with uh, Norman's friend dying. And so I wanted to go from there and try and explore the the correlation between humour and grief. And I think that's where the story, I always had that in my head of doing that sort of an exploration of those two emotions. And the story really grew from there. And so what was your writing journey before you wrote the funny thing about Norman Foreman? Had you written fiction before? I have written fiction before. Like most authors, I think I've got several finished and unfinished novels in my on my laptop but this was the first one that I've I've gone all the way through and finished the others I think at the time I thought oh I've written a book there and it's finished but of course it's not you you find that out quick enough when you you get a publishing deal that there's a lot more work to be done (laughs) but I think what it really was for me was before this novel I was dabbling I write for a living and so it's often hard to move away from your professional writing as in writing things like uh, marketing copy and people's resumes and and real estate copy and websites and things like that to moving into a creative environment and and actually having the headspace or the brain space to to move into that and this novel I think was the first one I know was the first one where it really took me away and I was so I was so motivated to find out Sadie and Norman's story that was a stronger motivation than the motivation to stop and just say oh I can't write anymore because I've got a headache or I've been writing all day it it is the first novel that's been published but it's not the first I've always written creatively but this is the first one that I've managed to take on a longer journey than a past my hard drive. What was the publication process like? Of, did you find an agent? Did you go directly to publishers? What? How did that work? I have had what most people would call a, a dream run, and I'm so grateful for it. But what I do say is that in order to get my dream run, I made sure at every point of the, the story that I made it very hard for people to say no to me, which means I was very prepared and I did everything down to the point that the font size, point size that they wanted on their website and things like that. But what I did was I did find an agent. And in fact, when I finished the story, my only goal was to get an agent because I knew obviously you can approach publishers cold, but I didn't think that was for me because I'm not very good at self-promoting and things like that. And so my main goal was to get an agent. And so I polished my novel to as shiny as it could possibly be. And I sent it to my dream agent and I didn't have a plan B. And I sat back and prepared to wait the three to six months that the stories that I've heard people have to wait to get an agent. And I was just incredibly lucky. The stars aligned and my agent who is my agent now, actually contacted me within about two or three days. And she said, look, I'm really loving it. I'm reading it. Just give me over the weekend or whatever to read it. And she read it. And I, she actually offered me representation within, it was probably within a week, the, the straight up 
which was amazing and it was such a whirlwind for me. And then I worked with her for about probably three months, just editorially. Not all agents do that, but she is quite renowned for working and making sure it's the best that it can possibly be before she then in turn sends it out to um, editors at publishing houses. So I worked with her for a couple of months and honed it even more. And then when it was ready for her to, to take out on submission, she did and we had some good interest and it actually went to auction. And so then I got my publishing deal within a couple of days after that. So for me, and I'm very aware of how lucky and amazing my journey has been, but for me, it's been very quick. Uh, except the application <laughs> because of COVID, it was it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. So right. it wasn't so quick. But yeah, I, so I do consider myself very lucky because I'm among the authors. Anyone who's trying to write a book or has a dream of being published, you're all you're out there reading everyone's horror stories or sadness or frustration at not being able to get their work out there. So I'm very aware of how lucky and 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 amazing my journey has been. And is your agent in the UK or in the US? Yeah, she's in the UK. Yeah, because I was, I'm actually in Australia. You can probably tell from my accent I'm Australian, <laughs> but I lived between the UK and Australia for so many years. I'm currently back in Australia. Obviously, we're all staying put at the moment, but a lot of my life was and is in the UK. So that's where the story's set, obviously. And that's also where I started my whole publishing journey. Gotcha. So what was the writing process when you were working on your novel? Did you outline extensively or was it more of an organic process of seeing where the story and the characters led you? It's really funny because, I, again, I didn't hear the term plotter or pantser before I even was well into writing my book, but it seems <laughs> I'm a pantser because I didn't, I, I knew, I knew the ending I wanted and I knew the beginning, but I didn't do any planning because, and I'm now working on my second book and I've tried so hard to be a planner, but it seems I can't be. But it was more, I think with my particular book, because it's a road trip, that's a a well-used sort of technique to get a character from physically from one place to another, but it's also obviously a way of getting them. And in fact, you have to get them from one place to another emotionally as well. Otherwise the story out, there's, there's no point to it. So I think because I had that kind of, and it was a very linear timeline, I, there's flashbacks in a kind of a sense, but they're very internal flashbacks for the characters. They're not, I don't take them back to a certain time and place. So my timeline's very linear. So in that way, I guess it was easy not to be a planner because I knew I had to get them. I knew the four points that of the cities that I, or the towns that I wanted to take them to and from. In a sense, I really did the road trip along with them in real time. So I didn't know what they were going to do when they got to the next town or city. I didn't know who they were going to meet and where they, but I did know the names of the towns that I was taking them to because I had to work that out in order to make the road trip feasible for them. So it very much came about organically. Yeah. So what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? It's really funny because now that my my book's out, I'm getting asked that a lot. And you, as a writer, you have you have that sort of imposter syndrome, and you think, "Wow, I, for years I've been checking out writing advice, and now people are asking me." So the cliched writing advice is cliched for a reason because it works, and that is for me, I think, is 
what's imperative and you can't do without is to read and read as widely as you can and also read out of your own genre because you learn a lot and it's not necessarily if you're not a thriller write, reader, you can read a thriller and you probably still get great enjoyment out of it, but you you can look at things like structure and plot and how different writers approach things and you can work out what you like and what you don't like as a reader and transfer that to your own writing. So I do think that reading is absolutely important and of course exercising the old writing muscle I think you do need to whether you whether in your life you can fit in a a schedule of an hour a day or a thousand words a day or whatever I think you need to I, I can't remember who it was but someone maybe it was Stephen King I think in his book on writing said something like touch it every day just touch it every day because otherwise you become disconnected from your story so whether you just dip in and read a paragraph read what you wrote the day before just stay really connected with your story and I think the best piece of advice that I ever saw somewhere or heard somewhere which really I think really changed my writing I heard it years ago was to write for your characters not don't write for your potential audience don't write for a potential agent a potential editor your potential readership that you know that may or may not exist one day but if you write for your characters and you've got it in you I think it's like what I was saying before that was what happened to me there was like a real light bulb moment and I was writing to finish Norman and Sadie's story I wasn't writing because I thought this was going to be a book one day. I just really wanted to get to the end of their story and for them to honour them. So I think that's a really, that's probably my my most, my strongest piece of advice is to find yourself, your characters and write for them. Are you working on another novel now? I am. I'm working on book two and I'm making a lot of progress, which is great. And again, I've come up with these characters that are taking me away on their ride. And again, I know that I've actually written the very last page, which who knows if it will stay. In the case of Norman, I did write the last page, not first, but very early on, and it stayed almost exactly the same as has the first page. And so I have written the last pages, so I know where I need it to go. And I've got this great cast of characters that Again, they seem to be following me around the house and I think about them all day and I know them very well. So fingers crossed it's going so far. I'm about, (laughs) I'd say I'm about, I could, if I was a bit of a liar, I'd say I had a first draft. I've got, I've certainly got the volume of a first draft. I've got about 110,000 words, but as I'm gradually working through them, I realise that quite a lot of those words are going to be disposed of. But I've got, I've got a semi first draft going. That's great. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, gosh, so many have I read recently. I think one of the ones that's really stayed with me that I read just a couple of weeks ago is Anxious People by uh, Frederick Backman, who wrote A Man Called Uva. And I resisted it at first because it's been such a big, and I loved A Man Called Uva, but again, I only read that about I I actually only read that when people started my publicity people and, and marketing people started not comparing my book to that but putting it in that kind of a putting it in that kind of a genre and I was like oh I must read that and I did absolutely love it so anxious people is it's so quirky but it's absolutely gripping it's 
when you hear the premise, it's almost like, how can that keep you going for a whole novel? But <laughs> it's, that's the joy of Frederick Buckman. It's just, it's about a bank holdup and how it turns into a hostage situation and about this group of people who are locked in a, well, an apartment. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but they're locked in an apartment with the their hostage taker and and just what goes on from there and the relationships between the people and you find out about their lives it's absolutely brilliant I really loved it it's so quirky I literally read that in one sitting as I often do another one I read recently was I don't know if you if Graham Norton the uh, talk show host is is big over there but he's huge in the UK he's like one of the most loved talk show hosts and he's a comedian but he's lately turned his, or lately and probably in the last five years, has turned his hand to novel writing and he is fabulous and the books are nothing like you'd expect because he is hilarious, but his books are not hilarious. They're very deep. And I've read his, or short but deep, I've read his latest one. Actually, it's not his latest one. He's got one since then, his last one, which is called A Keeper, and it's so dark and so brilliant and it's all this emotion and all this darkness squashed into a very short little book. So I love that. It's about a woman who goes back to Ireland and it's that story about she's she, she goes back to her mother's house where she grew up and she finds some letters and and then goes back into the past and finds out her whole history is not what she thought it was. But it's a stunning book. I absolutely love that. And I'm probably I'm just going through the latest ones that I've read because I do sure. What <laughs> one of the ones that will stay with me forever and a day, and I've been sprouting about this for about the last year, is a book called. Well, here it's called The Last Migration. I think in the US it's called Migrations, and it's by a young Australian girl called. Well, she's a lady. I shouldn't call her a girl, but she's young, and she's called Charlotte McConaughey. Hey, and it is the most. It's one of my. It's one of my favourite books that I've ever read, really, which is big for me. And it's basically a climate change uh, novel without beating you overhead, over the head with the theme of climate change. It's always there in the background because it's a, it's a fabulous story as well that goes along. This this young woman is, she's an, I'm not an ornithologist, I can't think of what she is, but she studies birth scientifically. And she goes on a long trek to the Antarctic to following the last of the Arctic turns. It's set in the future, but you're never told exactly when. I think it's supposed to be about 50 years in the future, and it follows the premise that we've lost a lot of our species and she's following the last Arctic turns. But, of course, it's a journey. It's almost like a road trip. It's a sea trip, and so she's following a lot of her own emotional turmoil as well. But it's absolutely fabulous, and I'm pretty sure that's out in the US now, or maybe just has, but that's my highest recommendation ever. <laughs> wow, that sounds great. I'll have to check that out. Fabulous. So where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman? Okay. I have a website, which is just julietahenderson.com, which I try and keep updated. And you can join my newsletter there, and I'm going to be sending out quite regular newsletters. I'm on Twitter at julietajulia1. I'm not there as pro prolifically as I am on Instagram. That's my main platform of choice because it's very pretty. I do Instagram. <laughs> um, and, and I'm there as uh, Julieta Henderson author. So, yeah. Great. Again, we've been speaking with Julieta Henderson, author of the debut novel, The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Julietta, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. 
Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman by Julietta Henderson, narrated by Katherine Parkinson, brought to you by Harlequin Audio, and available wherever audiobooks are sold. When I was born, my insides lay outside my body for 21 days, which is unexpected, but not nearly as unusual as you might think. For every 3,999 babies that come out with everything tucked in neatly and sealed away exactly where it should be, there's one like me. Nobody really knows why. Luck of the draw, my father used to say. For those three weeks, while I lay spread-eagled in an incubator like a Nando's special, a crowd of doctors gathered every morning to discuss their cleverness and, as my organs shrank to their correct size, bit by bit they gently posted a little more of the me pass that had made a break for it back inside. Well, that's the way my mother told it anyway. The way my father told it, the doctors gathered around the incubator every morning to discuss whether they'd be having my large intestine or my liver for their lunch, and whether it be with chips or salad. And that right there might tell you almost everything you need to know about my parents. On my inside's final day of freedom, the head surgeon pushed the last bit through the slit in my stomach and stitched it closed, presumably with everything in its rightful place. I was declared whole and sent home to begin life almost like nothing had ever happened. Except that even when the regular hospital checkup stopped and the scar on my stomach that I'd never lived without faded to a thin silver seam, I can always remember still feeling the tugging behind it. Something I could never quite name, nudging at the fleshy edges whenever things were going badly, or too well. Or just for fun. To remind me how easily those parts of me that never quite fitted could come sliding out. Anytime we like, Sadie. Anytime we like. It wasn't until I held my own son for the first time that the constant dull pressure of keeping the scar together receded. When a nurse placed that slippery, crumpled-up bundle of a boy on my chest, I tightened my grip on a handful of hospital sheet as my world creaked on its axis, bumped into a comfy spot, and was finally facing the right way. I didn't feel the tug on the scar again until a different boy died, and to say I wasn't ready for it isn't even the most important thing, because by then there was a whole lot more at stake than just my own stupid insides spilling out into the world. I was as scared as hell and I had no idea how to fix any of it. And that right there might tell you almost everything you need to know about me. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.